Welcome to the Kennedy Beacon Podcast's first show of 2024. Happy and hopeful new year to everyone. I'm Francis Scott, and I'm here with my co-host, Aaron Good and Nico House. Hey, guys. What's going on, 2024? I didn't know if we would make it, but we did. We made it. We did. Yeah, happy birthday, or happy birthday. Happy New Year, Francis and Nico. Let's make it through this year. My birthday was the 27th. It was actually the 27th. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm like 24 and a half, actually. Little baby. Well, 2024, (laughs) (laughs) certainly one of the big ones for the big history book in the sky. Too much war, no ceasefires in sight, and a national presidential election in November. Anybody's guess where we will all be one year from right now. But in that spirit, we've decided to kick off this year with Dickie Barrett, legendary songwriter, singer, formerly of the Mighty Mighty Boston's, and now frontman for The Defiant, love the name, a newly formed band that includes musicians from Smash Mouth, The Offspring, Street Dogs, and The Briggs, a few of the biggest ska punk and rock bands of the past few decades. Now, the first album's entitled We're Really Being Honest, We're Really Being Honest, and right now we're going to play a track. Let's have a listen to a song about technology taking over our lives. It's called Dead Language.
but it is possible to make people contented with their servitude. You can provide them with bread and circuses, and you can provide them with endless amounts of distractions and propaganda. And now we walk like Uh, you just want to crank it. I hope you'll forgive can, me can, the can name. Can I just say the the '90s feels from that song <laughs> that I got? Good guy. Like I felt like I was. It was Saturday morning, like watching cartoons on Fox Kids. Like that. It was. That's, I apologize. That's, that's, how, that's how I remember music used to be, man. It's crazy. It's not I'm that from anymore. the '90s. I am. Yeah, a, I know I it. Everybody, Dickie Barrett. Happy birthday, Nico. Thank you, man. Thank you, Dickie. I appreciate it. You share a birthday with my father. Oh, I'm oh, December 27th? Just learned that. Yes. Wow. Man, that hey, must be a stand-up gentleman. I'm glad you're on. <laughs> I'm glad you're defiant. I love the name of your new band. I love the sound of your new band. Takes us back and brings us forward. My first question are, where are the rebels in music? And where have they been the past couple of years? You're, you're, uh, you're, you're, you have one on your show? There's, uh, there's one there's four you got a couple buddies guys in the defiant there's a there's a guy that I, that i'm very fond of his name is is brad and he's he's got a band called five times august and it it, it rocks in a different way um they're out there we're out there there's actually a lot of them but i think this is a very different kind of time and i and i always thought that i spent my life in in you know punk rock training camp and you know when the when the shit hits the fan would would we, we, all be ready to go but when i turned when it was time to go i turned around and looked behind me and and i was running solo so um it's interesting it's interesting times but i, I don't know i don't really properly know how to answer that question it saddens me i think you know i, think I spent my entire career and it was lengthy preaching unity and and the strength that comes from everybody being together. And I think, you know, the most divisive time in our, you know, arguably in our country's history. And, you know, everybody's willing to let the powers that be just divide us. It's, it's, it's weird how they used our compassion to divide us. And that's what's been yes. really weird since 2020. And that's why I think I, I, it worked. I actually, Francis, have an alternative theory. I feel like they use ego to divide people, and it's that ego disguises compassion. Mm, I feel like that's because if you truly have that's compassion, that's an excellent point as empathy. well. Yeah, and I think I, I that mean, they used the everything they could. They yeah, kitchen like, synced it. They man, used fear. They used yes. you know, teams. What team are you on? They used mm-hmm. they 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 called me names. They called me things that I wasn't. I spent you know if you know anything about the mighty mighty Boston's. 
you know, it was we were the traveling United Nations for 40 years. You know, there was none. You know, I'm an Irish Catholic kid, and, and my my partner, my best friend Joe Gittleman's a guy, a Jewish kid that grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. There was, you know, African Americans playing horns, and 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 you know, the it goes on from there. You know, so um, so to call me, a, you know, racist or Nazi. Oh, hey, Dickie, don't even worry about it. I found out in 2020 that I'm racist, too. So, you know, <laughs> don't even feel that bad about it. It, it was, they was, There was a lot of racism. Again. I was called a Nazi. I was called a racist. I was told on Twitter with my profile picture there, you must not be black if you're saying that. That's a true story, by the way. So mm. it, it's just a, it's like you said, they throw the kitchen sink at you. And I, I really empathize with the the point that you made when you said you felt like you were in rebel boot camp for your entire career and then you turned back when it was time when she hit the fan. Nobody's around. I feel like myself, Francis, Aaron, a lot of independent journalists feel the exact same way about our field, where we, yeah. we thought that we were all independent. We thought we were all on the same page. But then whenever she hit the fan with COVID, with election rigging on both sides, when it comes to anything like that, you turn around, you're like, hold on, oh, God, I thought we, didn't we take the same Uber? They're like, nah, bro, we got <laughs> off a couple of stops ago, you know, so... <laughs> I call it yeah, the Rebel I, Alliance. I personally, for me, after Obama got elected, I became pretty much a dissident uh, uh, against the the prevailing, you know, regime and the the empire in general. When Obama didn't change anything after Bush, fundamentally, I realized there was something much deeper, and it made me kind of a radical myself. So I understand. Now, um, Diggy Barrett, hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. But but at the at the beginning of, of, of Obama's campaign and and. You know, did you were you on board then? I was. I thought Obama. I worked for Obama's campaign, and yeah. really thought he was going to change things because he said change, and they said I'm going to change things. And I thought <laughs> that, but given that Bush had committed these crimes, I thought the logical thing would be the other party would be like, hey, the last guy is actually a criminal, and I can throw him in jail, and that'll be good for the party. When they let the torturers off, when they let Bush off for the Iraq War, mm. and Obama pardons all these people, and he says, look forward, not backward, which is really like. From a person yeah. who understands law, that is like imagine a serial killer saying that. Come on, look forward, people. Don't worry about, don't what, those people don't worry about what happens. There would be no such thing as precedence if that was the case. Yeah, and it I mean, felt that's... like to me at the time, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a dumb Boston guy, but it felt like to me at the time Obama came out of nowhere, which you know, in hindsight, he really didn't. But yeah, he just, really did. And here, yeah. you know, and and you're coming off of Bush, and like, oh, anything's better than this. And and I was on. That was Jimmy Kimmel Live's announcer, so so we spent all the Bush years, you know, doing videos of him tripping and falling and saying stupid stuff and lying and all, all of that. So it felt so refreshing and so good. And and in my touring band, the Mighty Mighty Boston's, we were actually when he was running for office, like dropping a huge Obama banner that said "Hope and Change" behind us to end well, the show as we it, played the it, Impossible Dream. And you're a defense, Dickie. And then that man was a but all I really ever wanted from candidates, as once again, the dumb guy from Boston was end <laughs> these wars, you know, end these mm. wars. Why do we need these wars? Can't we just, you know, aren't we sophisticated enough in this day and age? And and he was promising that, but it never really, you know, it wasn't tangible. We never got to hold on to that. And that dissipated. And, and I started to go something's up at that point. But when I really figured something was up was when you know for years we would have on the tv show donald trump would come on the show and i've never been a fan mm -hmm. i'm a punk rock guy 
it was, you know, when he's, you know, the art of the deal and, and you're fired and the apprentice and all that stuff was gross to me. Mm. Just didn't like, you know, yuppies and the, the greed of the nineties and, you know, his name and gold on buildings. So I was already on board with, I don't like this guy, but everybody else seemed to, you know, everybody always very smart. Man. And when he says you're fired, you're fired and he's coming on the show and show him some respect. And I was like, all right. But the minute hit that he won that election, it was, you know, he's a racist. He's a racist. And I'm like, but you told me he was great. Right? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that why people were confused. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm so like, like, he wasn't racist then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I was like, where were you when I was saying I, I wasn't very mm. fond? And, well, I mean, Barack, Barack, Barack Obama destroyed the most prosperous country in Africa. Uh, I mean, this Libya. is what is more racist yeah. than that? It, it, it's it's a ridiculous conversation that we have about politics in this what, country. I feel like the most ironic thing about this is like not only is he the first black president, obviously, but he literally is the first African president of literal African descent that he could track back just to his dad and then his stepdad also. But he's like responsible for bringing slavery back to Africa. Like you can't really get any more ironic than that. But, you know, Mike Gravel during the debate said one thing that like I, it never left my brain when he was debating against Obama during the in the primaries. He said, uh, you know, what? you scare me more than any of them. He was like, "What? Why?" He's like, "Because you actually think that you can bring the change that you're talking about, and you, you have no idea what you're in for, and which will make you probably the easiest to control." Is what he was alluding to, because there probably was some naivete to Obama, where he's like, "You see this slick? I'm, I'm a slick talker. I, I get stuff done." Yeah, but until you realize that the only way that you got to be who you are is because your mother was CIA. It's because your father was CIA. Your grandfather was overthrowing governments and toppling governments in Indonesia. And then he began, that's why, that was what the whole Hawaii conversation was about. It wasn't that he wasn't American. That's why he didn't want to tell anybody. That's why he didn't want to show his birth certificate. Because the hospital that he would have been showing everybody would just prove, oh, I was actually born in a hospital that was specifically for people participating in the language programs for the CIA. And that was the big conscious it wasn't because he was scared that he was going to show he wasn't American. It was actually the opposite. It was show that he was promised this position. But I do got to ask, Dickie, what happened to the Jimmy Fallon gig, man? That's crazy. I, I forgot. It was Kimmel, I forgot Kimmel. Kimmel, Kimmel, excuse me. They all act the same, basically, to me. Yeah, yeah. My apologies. <laughs> it's hard to tell different. But Kimmel, <laughs> yeah, what, happened to, what, <laughs> what happened to the Jimmy Kimmel situation, man? I can tell you that in a second, but I, I just wanted to say, didn't you find it funny, though, after... Once, you know, Trump was in and once, you know, Bush was no longer president. I mean, you know, there was, we went through Obama. But once then all of a sudden uh, W became Q, you know, like he's drawing yeah, pictures. Oh, the revive. Oh, man, don't remind me. Sharing gum <laughs> and he's, you know. It's like I was, uh, I him, and, him and Michelle taking cute pictures together. Yeah. 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 Did we find him to be a monster? For, you know, for, called him a monster for years and then all of a sudden he's adorable. Um what happened was, with and and fairness to to Jimmy Kimmel, um, he he didn't he tried to you know protect me and make sure it didn't happen. But I, I didn't get a COVID shot, and mm. and um, Kimmel show is owned by Disney, and Disney had a you know mandatory everybody from the you know the guy in the mouse suit to the guy that's announcing on the Jimmy Kimmel show has to be uh have a covid shot and I, and I didn't want to get one and I uh I held fast and held firm and said no and and 
you know, Jimmy tried to kick it down the road, but he, you know, they closed in on us and, uh, and it was, it was time for me to go. How many of mm. you, do you know of anybody? I used to work for the a Disney affiliate and of the people I knew, a couple of them tried for an exemption and got to delay it. But in the end, everybody had to, that wanted to stay. Do you, how many people do you know, or do you know any? Um, I'm just trying to get a, a sense of like, have you heard rumors of anybody getting an exemption or do you yeah, know other people right. who were let go? I don't, I don't know. I think at some point if, if, you know, if they were holding on or, you know, I think that it just kind of all dissipated and, you know, they replaced me. So, you know, it wasn't, and the, the strange thing about it is at, by that point I was doing my job from my garage in, in Arizona That's crazy moved from LA. So I wasn't going into the studio, but they, you know, it started getting kind of funny. They're like, everybody has to be back in the studio. And maybe that's true. But I'm like, you know, I kind of said, really it's been working for the last two years. But I'm like, walk into my garage and fire up the microphone. But, um, <laughs> how but, did, so Dickie, how did Letitia Wright get away with it? I'm, Cause I remember that controversy. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Letitia Wright plays, Shuri uh, in Black Panthers, T'Challa's sister, and it was a big controversy because she was like, "I'm not, like," she was like, "I'm not getting it," basically, and she was very open about it. And, it, and there was a cause to fire her because of it. But do you know why she was? Is it because Marvel was like its own thing entirely? Because I know they belong to Disney. It's difficult to say. I don't. I don't know that particular story, or you know, and good for her. But yeah. um, I think, like I said, I think as you know, time went by, you kind of you know, hope no one. She was able to outlast it, basically. Yeah. Or there's distributor versus producer of content. You know. Oh no, because yeah. everybody else was forced to get it. That, that was like it was. I was really into in, into that story because of the the black community aspect of it. Um, she was very open. It was like she's African, even though she's Guyanese. She's of African descent, and she's like, bro, these people have been these people specifically, right? The Pfizer's, Moderna's, the Bill Gates of the world have been distributing these vaccines. And we've seen the problems they've caused in these African countries and they've not been held responsible. Why would I then take that and then put it in my body? You know, and they just came up with it two days ago. So she was very, and, and so everybody remembers how controversial this, this shot was in the black community, but shout out to you guys. Cause we definitely had the lowest rate of vaccination. So shout out to my black people. Uh, but <laughs> it was all, I think she probably benefited Stop from bragging. the fact that- yeah, not bragging, but, you know, we did something right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All reparations are not having heart attacks. So, anyway, the, the, uh, but I think it was the, she kind of un unfortunately benefited from um, Chadwick Boseman dying, and they, they couldn't uh. kick the can down the road for Black Panther 2 because it's just way too successful. It's a billion-dollar movie. So, I think it was kind of like a combination, too. But it's interesting that you said everybody at Disney was forced to get a vaccination, even if you're working in a garage, which is insane. That's what it said on the paper. You know, the, the paper came in and, 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 uh, at, at one point, Jimmy told me to get a, um, uh, uh, test the, um, whatchamacallit test for the PCR. No, to see if you, the antigen test, the spike test, to see if spike was in your blood. Test. Like, yeah. An antibodies. And, uh, and I got that and, you know, it took some time for the, the results came back. And I, cause I told him I had, I had COVID and he, and cause he, you know, went from him being mad at me than him being scared that I was, uh, that I was going to get COVID and die. And I said, oh. and, and he said, you know, he's looking it up and he looks and goes, get an antibodies test. I heard that if, um, 
you have the antibodies or if you've had COVID, um, you know, then you have natural immunity and that's just as good. And I, you know, but that doesn't mean they'll accept it. And I'm thinking on the phone, I'm like, just as good. I go, I I believe it's better. Hold on, uh, But anyway, I got it. (laughs) What did you say? So he knew this? That's not what he was saying on the show, is why I'm asking. Oh, about the natural immunity. Well, that's what he said. And and he was learning kind of in real time. And this Hmm. is before whatever he said on the show. And, And he said that to me, and I got the test, and he said to me that he would accept that. But mm. at that, by that point, there was there was a you know document that came from the company saying that um, all all employees must be vaccinated. So has anyone come back to you? I wasn't willing to you know try to fake it or anything like that. And the re- the reason is is because there were people that appreciated my music and that followed me and that you know were, I just I just didn't want people to think. That that's what I did, you know. I, I didn't want to put that, you know, or signal in any other way than what I have done. And, and you can make your own choices and your own decisions, which is really what I was behind. I wanted to be able to make my own decision, and everybody else can make their own decision. And I didn't really want to be, you know, any kind of you know spokesperson or poster child or, or front runner. But I wasn't going to lie if somebody asked me, you know, what did you do? I was going to tell the truth and. You know, but but I didn't want people going. I wanted to see the Boston's, so I got a, a vaccine, or a, or a, mm. you know, my favorite singer did it, so I, I'm going to do it too. That that kind of craziness, which it might sound like I'm a narcissist or some sort no. of egomaniac, but if the, no, you know, if, that's if a respect got, for your brand. Really, you understand, you really understand the power of what you did, what you created in your family, which is your fan base, and you knew. Like it's like me, if I do something, my little brother's going to do it. Because I'm yeah. his big brother, he looks up to me. Aaron, you have something you want to say? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I saw you guys play in Chicago in 1997 or 98 on the Warp Tour. Uh, I had mostly gone to see Lagwagon and Social Distortion and The Descendants. I, I wasn't too much into ska then, if I'm going to confess. But you went but- away, a huge Boston's fan. And from that day on, I'm your life. Go ahead, you can tell the whole yeah, story. Yeah, I'm not going to show the tattoo. We're on video. <laughs> but I, I have a Mighty Boston's tattoo, of course, that goes F without saying. Wagon, F social distortion for me. I came I in one it. way. I left believing in the powers of Dickie Barrett and the Mighty yep. Mighty Boston. Okay. Thank you. Preaching, I was me. preaching the gospel after that. But <laughs> I have looked at some of these guys that back then that I really thought were so cool as a high schooler and, you know, in college and stuff. And their politics kind of veered more towards, like, vote Democrat, uh, with some exceptions. I mean, propaganda is still pretty radical, of course. Uh, but some of these guys, yeah, the guys that I like, like. I love that band. What, is, what, is, what do you know about them currently? Uh, I haven't heard of their records in recent years, but I know that they're, they're very political. There was the one a few years ago that I heard, and they're still more political. They talk less about vegan stuff, which is good to me. I think they realize that there's kind of bigger fish to fry. So their politics are good. Anti-flag is still very radical and anti-war, but then it turned out the front man was like a serial rapist or something, perhaps, yeah. or allegedly. Um, but these other guys, like... Uh, I like Fat Mike and No Effects, but he was like kind of pro-Ukraine war, and like I'm wondering if he's looking at it now, and they've lost half a million people, and they're going to have to surrender or something to Russia, and uh, all these other things with these musicians. What do you think it accounts for the fact that some of those cohorts, some of your cohort of like 
alternative, you know, outside of the mainstream punk bands, uh, that a lot of them ended up sort of having democratic, liberal, they almost ended up like people that read the Atlantic and stuff politically instead of people that read Ramparts or, uh, you know, Maximum Rock and Roll or whatever. They turned into a strangely conformist, especially around COVID and such. Um, what do you think Didn't accounts think for the Maximum problems with these people? Very- didn't you think that that Maximum Rock and Roll was very liberal to begin with? Listen, I've I've always Ish, voted, yes, that's a bad example. You're right. Yeah. I've always voted Democrat my whole life. I come, I'm you know a Kennedy Democrat from Boston, Massachusetts. Once again, Irish Catholic family, and that's you know Massachusetts. You know, was the state that voted for you know McGovern when the rest of the entire oh, country voted for, you know, yeah, voted for Nixon. And so it's, it's very, very working class blue as it's always been. And, you know, good, bad or indifferent, but that's the way that I just sort of, you know, without thinking sort of, though, this is how I am. This is how I vote. This is everything. Now, now do I, am I, have I been tired? Am I tired of the lesser of two evils or, you know, it's either this asshole or this asshole. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and my eyes been open to, to certain things when I, you know, when I had children at a late age and, you know, it's like, how do I raise them? I have no idea. And, and me and my wife are, you know, figuring out, well, what do we do? You know, we got to, what are we going to feed them? And, and, you know, what are they, how are we going to treat when it comes to media? How are we going to treat them? And mm. he said, you know, the first thing someone's in our face and I'm holding, you know, my baby daughter and, and they're explaining, you know, okay, you know, we got to start this shot cycle. And I'm like, okay, you know, how does that work? And then they, you know, ultimately it was like by the time the kid's 18 years old, she'll have had 75 shots. Yeah, I'll be damned. Um. More or less. And and (laughs) that was going to start that day. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, that's too much. And then I'm calling my mother. How many, you know, I was born in 1964. How many did I get? And she's like, I don't know, Richard. I think, you know, two or three. Four, it's difficult to say, and I'm like, well, how I did it? How did it get in that amount of time? So, so that you know, and I went on a tangent and, and probably off the rails right now, but but so you know, that's just how I was. So so things changed from just I'm going to vote, you know, Democrat, and most of the times I felt like. I didn't want anything to do with the Bushes. I knew I knew their CIA ties. I knew, you know, I didn't like that they were, you know, big oil like you read about and, and, and big corporations. So so I'm going to vote Democrat in that instance. And, and for the, you know, for all things being said, I prospered. You know, a guy was able to travel around the country for years playing ska core music. So how can you argue, you know, with, you know, who's ever in office? You, you go what a great country and isn't this wonderful and I don't really want to change things and I think we had our biggest hit during the Clinton administration and it's, mm-hmm. so you go oh you, you got to kind of go all right so this is working and I didn't I was one of those people and I apologize to the, all three of you that just said you know things are copacetic and and why would I want to rock the boat that's and the '90s, though. That's the '90s. It, that's that was the '90s. 90s now, yeah. now, that's now. Move. Let's move to my kids. But people being. were prospering in the '90s too. At least you know, aesthetically yes. speaking, a lot of people because the effects of NAFTA and things like that hadn't really hit the average person yet. No, and and you know, those are the days when your mother was taking you to see the 
the nineties movies that I was involved in and and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So first time I heard the song was actually watching the Digimon movie, believe nah. it or not. I love them. I love Digimon. It's way better. Anything else in Clueless? Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Oh, man. I forgot See, I, talk I, I got two different versions of Clueless. I got like the Clueless I remember, like watching the first time, and then like the original Clueless. I watched the show because I was too young to go to the movies when the movie came out. Like, yeah, that's that's how old I am. So I'm whatever, Francis. <laughs> well, were you guys in Chasing Amy? Did they have a song in Chasing Amy. <laughs> hey, absolutely right. Yes, good call. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, I think Ben Affleck had something to do with that, but uh, what's his name? The guy that made that Chasing Amy movie, um, Kevin oh, Smith. Did, yes, Kevin Smith. God, he was. Aaron, he was a damn encyclopedia. Awesome. Jesus Christ! It's <laughs> his brain. He got a super brain there. Hey, let me. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, me, Francis. Go ahead. Let me ask you, Dickie. Um, you are a supporter of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his run for president. Yes. Talk about that for just for just our last couple of minutes. Uh, we're running out of time. This is the best. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm, not I, I mean, I, I'm not no, big. Let's be rebels. Let's decide. Let's, let's, let's go rogue. Yeah, we, we, um, we can go as long as you need to go, man. That came, that came, um, that was early for me. I, I was, once again, you know, when my kids were born, we're talking now 11 years ago, um, and my first daughter was born. And so, you know, I, I, as I said, I was investigating just that. And then I found out that he was, you know, on, on the, you know, he was exploring vaccines and, and you know, the, their dangers and, and you know, the mercury. And, it, and also at the same time, I had known him. Well, I knew of him because I, once again, I'm Irish Catholic guy from Boston. And my <laughs> father was an enormous, enormous uh, John F. Kennedy supporter and, and, Loved his uh, Robert F. Kennedy, you know, as a as a candidate for president, and and we just, you know, I, I grew up in a house of Kennedy files, to in a neighborhood of that. It was you know, that's who you grew up in the country. Did your grandparents have a framed <laughs> picture of, of yes. JFK? Because everybody yeah. I know did. Like it's part of the family repertoire. It's yes. just the it Kennedy, was, and then here's my grandson, and then. <laughs> no, here, it was the, it was, this is what it was. It was the Pope, uh, JFK, and then the next picture was Larry Bird. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Love oh. it. I'm kind of surprised. kind of low for Larry Bird in Boston. Well, I'm, from, I'm, I'm from Indiana. Low. I'm from Indiana, so Larry Bird was popular. Ma- there, too. Yeah, right? No, no, no. We got to double back on that. We got to. So you said your family isn't racist, Dicky, but I'm calling bullshit. Hey. Larry Bird above Bill Russell? You act, you, you act, well. Wow. That it was the time Bostonian period. Of you. That is truly old. Bostonian of you. Larry Bird above. That's crazy. I'm playing. Bill Russell <laughs> they was were there my to father's see. guy. They were there to see Larry Bird. I get it. I understand. I get Bill it. Bill was my father's guy and I was Larry Bird. Ah, okay. I got you. All right. We're going we gonna to let that one slide. So, I, I guess. I, so <laughs> also, uh, Jimmy introduced me to, to uh, Robert because Jimmy was working with him with, with his, you know, a lot of the um, stuff he did for the environment and cleaning up the rivers and, and his river. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel stuff. did. Jimmy Kimmel did because That's Jimmy posted some events that, that um, Bobby was having and, and he knew, you know, my love of the family and, and said, you know, and he introduced them. Uh, Bobby got in touch with me shortly after I lost my job. And so that to me was, and asked me at the time to, 
helped create a song that he was going to use for the, uh, his medical mandates, his, his anti-mandates rally in D.C., one that he's gone on stage and then you know, the next day all of the mainstream media was calling uh, an anti-Semite and taking all of his words out of context. But we, we had put together a song, and he asked me to do it, and I did it. It was a um, parody of a Graham Nash song that was sort of the theme song for the whole thing, which made the Boston's very uncomfortable that I was involved with, with Bobby Kennedy and I had just been fired from the TV job. So they're kind of going, what's going on with Dickie? And then once, you know, Rolling Stone and, and the mainstream media started calling, you know, Bobby this and saying, you know, they had no right to use Graham Nash's song, which I didn't really care about personally. And, you know, if, you know, send a cease and desist my way. And that's fine. I felt like we were using a, a protest song to protest something that was very important. And, you know, so I, I could have cared less. But Amen a lot of people were clutching their pearls and, you know, had their you know, tail feathers all ruffled. But like I said, he reached out to me. And at a time that was like, oh, my world's kind of caving in and I don't really know what's going on. And I'm now, you know, have to find another way to um, support my family. And he said, I heard what happened and just was kind of, you know, hand on shoulder kind of thing that was huge to me. And then he announced, you know, a year or so later that he's running for president. This is crazy. And, you know, of course he gets my support from that alone. Besides the fact that I think he's on point. OK, I think that, the you know, I think that he speaks about ending the wars. And, and once again, that's my that's my issue in. You know, my other issue is, is medical freedom, and and he's the proponent, and he's the only guy, you know, that that, that I hear speaking yeah. about that. You know, if, if we're, we're going to talk about choice, let's talk about choice, and he's, you know, money where your mouth is, guy, and and I have nothing but love and admiration, and I believe in him as a candidate. Have I been duped in the past? Sure. I don't believe I'm being duped this time, and and you know, I can re I can see the comments now. Oh, you're being duped, my friend. Once again. <laughs> well, I don't want to say, you know, we're the island of misfit toys, but we definitely come from all from all places and all past perspectives. So the island's growing. Welcome. Let's get on. Yeah. Ah. But not that island, guys. Not that island. I know what Ali y'all thinking about. It ain't that island. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no. I'm talking about like misfit toys. Like the old Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I know, but I'm just You're saying, a train you know. with square wheels, my friend. Yeah, there you, go. you there know, you, go. hey, you know, this be, we know there's been a lot of news about another island over the last week or so. We just want you to know we're talking island. about our island, not that island. We didn't take not no planes to get here. We took a ferry. Okay, Dickie was trying yeah, it's, to a, it's an island. Uh, it's an island of sanity. Now, uh, there you go. <laughs> this defiant album is, is very good, and I want people to know that they can buy it online at thedefiant.com or via the typical streaming music sites like iTunes and such. You can also um, get it on Spotify. Uh, Dickie Barrett continued success with the new band. Uh, on behalf of my co-host, Francis Scott and Nico House, I want to thank you for joining us. And I invite our audience to subscribe to the Kennedy Beacon Substack. It's free, and there are literally dozens of articles and columns produced by the writers at the Kennedy Beacon. And please tune in next week for a new episode of the Kennedy Beacon Podcast. 